watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, happy 2020 and welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason LeRoy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte and we have four movies for you from the month of January. 1917, Just Mercy, Clemency, and Like a Boss. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess. Uh, and Wonderful. Guys, you might notice that some of these movies are um, technically December releases. Okay. Uh, Technically, but uh, but only for New York and L.A. Well, 1917 was, I think, a nationwide release in December. And we, if I'm being honest, did not talk about it then because I didn't think I would have to care about it. Mm. And it's a war movie. So I was like, yeah, I don't care. Um, and now it is the presumptive Oscar frontrunner. And we'll talk about those nominations in a bit. And so I was like, well, I guess we should watch it and have an opinion because people keep asking if I've seen that movie because after it won the Golden Globe for Best Drama, kind of out of the blue, uh, I was like, okay, well. And Best Comedy. It uh, was a miniseries. The Hollywood Foreign Press, their ways are, they called it, foreign. <laughs> foreign to me. Uh, so that's why we're going to talk about 1917. Clebency and Just Mercy opened up in New York and LA at the end of December, but they are just opening in uh, San Francisco this month. We're a podcast of the people. That we are of the people. When, so, tell me when it comes out in Cleveland. Tell no, me when it comes out in uh, Tampa. We'll be back in May to talk about Clemency <laughs> and Just Mercy. When they open it'll the, be at the Red Box at the Giant <laughs> Eagle in Bedford. And when they hit the Cedar Lee. <laughs> uh, and Like a Boss is our only representation this episode of just classic January trash. Mm, uh, so sweet. The sweet, sweet, empty calories of January movies coming after months of prestige. So uh, that's the one we're going with. But as mentioned, first up, we got to talk about the Oscar nominations. Mm -hmm. We're not looking forward to talking about them because they were bad. But here we are. Nominees for Best Picture are Ford versus Ferrari. (laughs) Are we going to go through these one by one and then just exchange glances? I'm just going to look at you and then, yeah, let's just change glances. Sure. The Irishman? Jojo Rabbit? Hmm. Joker, Little Women, mm. Marriage Story, mm-hmm. 1917, mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Oof. and Parasite. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so you, I had one of my best of the year, one of my worst of the year, mm-hmm. and you had two of your best of the year? Yeah, I guess, yeah, because Parasite and Marriage Story are both in my top five. And Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> And Ford versus Ferrari, <laughs> uh, which was my sort of just overall, like just straight ticket. I always vote straight ticket Ford versus Ferrari. All the way down. In every movie election. You said best of the decade. Mm-hmm. FVF. <laughs> 100% Which is time. what you also tagged on as t- Nintendo, right? <laughs> right, exactly. That's also my tramp stamp. Um, <laughs> the V goes down very low. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, those are the Best Picture nominees this year. And once again, they did that thing where they could have 10, but they only nominated nine, which just feels like such a fuck you. That is to, such a fuck you. Well, I mean, The Farewell, to name one, uh, which mm-hmm. was a movie that was kind of shortlisted very consistently throughout all of award season for a number of categories, none of which it ultimately was nominated in, all of which it deserved to be nominated in. Right. 
I mean, there's just there's I mean, let's it'd probably be easier to talk about any nominations that we're actually excited about. So like I'm excited that Parasite is nominated for Best Picture and Director and Original Screenplay and it, and it was not just confined to the foreign language ghetto the way that uh, foreign films or I guess now they're calling it international not foreign you know many international films are frequently relegated mm-hmm. to only be nominated in that category period mm-hmm. and this year that was not the case Parasite really broke out. Um, it still disappointingly received no acting nominations, which truly can only be chalked up to general racism. Yep. Um, broad, <laughs> broad just strokes of racism. Broad strokes of racism. Uh, a lack of understanding on the on the part of the Academy on who the actors are, how to say their names. Mm-hmm. They were just like, nope, not not waiting into that one. Hard pass. So uh, even Aquafina's name, apparently, they're like, what is that? I don't, mm. this is not a language I speak. So, I mean, um, that sounds like you. Yep, yep. If I <laughs> at all edited this podcast, I would cut in right now you complaining about Aquafina's name? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I do a long history of complaining about her name. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, Parasite nominations are great, and I'm really happy that Antonio Banderas made the best actor cut for Pain and Glory. That was fantastic to see. And end of list. End of list. Okay, let me, let me, let me do a little scrolly scroll and see what I'm excited about. Um, Rebecca has just had the news broken to her the discriminations <laughs> were announced several no, weeks ago. No, but I don't memorize all the categories like you do. <laughs> um, are there, I mean, we're not going to talk about the things you're like super ex- upset about. Oh, um, I mean, we will. We can start. That's why I'm saying let's start, okay, let's start okay, with things we're actually uh, excited okay. about. Here, here's something that I'm excited about. Um, hair and makeup, bombshell. Yes, that is a deserved nomination. Mm-hmm. For Salma. <laughs> Documentary. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. I was glad for Sama made the cut. Mm-hmm. Um uh, uh Oh, I mean, I know it's under Joker, but uh the the, the female composer for uh-huh. uh best original score, Hildur Gunder. <laughs> I think I did it right though. I, I know you're you, laughing, I think, but I, I think, think I did you nailed it, right. it. I think you nailed it. I think you didn't sound like the Swedish chef at all. <laughs> <laughs> And is that end of the list? Uh, Knives Out, original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Two popes adapt the screenplay. They <laughs> turned my blog into a screenplay. <laughs> Thank you. Although your case against them is still in litigation. I mean, it was more of a fan well, fiction, they say. I mean, it was nice of you to, you know, throw out your case against them because they let you actually take that photo with the two popes. I know, right? Uh, I mean, they knew how to give you what you wanted. They I did. I mean, I think they made it go respect, away. Tagging it as hashtag three popes was not the most original thing of no, all time, but no. Um, and you know, it's one thing whenever they usually would say throw money at the problem, but in your case, they said throw popes at the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and you were the and problem. Now I'm happy. And they threw popes at and you. So it worked out fine. Both, so yeah, okay, that's both, my end of Both things. of those guys are nominated too. Mm-hmm. Both popes. Yeah. So there's that. Pope on Pope. Which which was, I think that was a bit of a, not everyone expected both of them to get in, but but they did. Mm-hmm. Um, although the movie then, however, the movie was snubbed in picture, I think. Yeah, that's I a think. bold, <laughs> it's bold to say the script. Right. Wow. Both leads who are the only people mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Right. They're like that director. It was directed by like a monkey and a typewriter. <laughs> well, I mean, similarly for Little Women, I know not well. you're not a fan, but that would that it would receive yeah. picture, multiple acting nominations, but adapted least, screenplay. Sure, but then you can be like sexism. What's the situation here? True, true. Uh, Popism, mm. anti-Catholic bias, <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> so, of course, we have to address the J Lo of it all. Please, 
you know, there were a lot of massive snubs this year, and almost all of them were for movies that were probably a bit too young or cool or edgy for the still overwhelmingly old white Academy. And whether it be The Farewell, Uncut Gems, or Hustlers. And uh, it was devastating to... Mm. I I sort of accidentally woke up on time to watch the 5 a.m. nominations announced. Because it was like a Christmas morning thing and I was just too excited to sleep. And that was the first category they announced. And they announced the names alphabetically. The first name announced was Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. And as soon as I saw that name, I just... My stomach dropped because she was not expected to be nominated and I knew like the, the, what the likely nominees were. So when I saw her name show up for basically the movie that is the anti-hustlers, um, <laughs> I, I, I knew it did not bode well. Yeah. And, um, and then... And uh, you hate Kathy Bates. I do hate Kathy Bates. Uh, no, she's, she's, she's great in the movie. She's by far the only reason to even consider watching Richter Jewel, um, but still don't. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's really... It's really crushing and I think part of what's even more crushing is whenever I talk to people about that snub an alarming number of them say things like well but she was never actually going to get a nomination though about J-Lo hmm. and I'm like why do you think that and they're like I mean did you really think she was going to get nominated for that and I'm like yeah she was nominated for a SAG award and for a Golden Globe and a Critics Choice Award and an Independent Spirit Award and she's won multiple critics prizes. Like she was, she is like the number two supporting actress all award season behind Laura Dern in terms of how many prizes she's collected. So yeah, mm-hmm. I thought she was going to get nominated. But you know, it, and, and this is definitely one of those years where it's kind of cooler to get snubbed uh, mm. because they nominated such square, boring things. Sure. So to be like, oh, you know, you were too edgy for the Academy is a nice consolation prize, I guess. You were, you were not about 1917. <sighs> I mean, it really, you know, it seems like a lot of the analysis and sort of like interviews with Academy voters would indicate that Hustlers was just the general consensus in the Academy was that it was not an Oscar movie, in quotes. And so they just That takes you back to the Saturday Night Live skit. Right, white male rage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I mean, this is a movie that did stoke a lot of white male rage, but it was not actually about white male rage. So, uh, but yeah, it was thought of by people who presumably didn't watch it as uh, just like, well, no, that's not an Oscar movie. That's like a that's like a good time movie. That's just like a popcorn movie about, you know, strippers so. robbing people. So that's not an Oscar movie because if they were prostitutes and they were being beaten and raped, then that would be an Oscar movie. If they were played by Jared Leto. And if they were played by Jared Leto. Um, so it was not a sad sex worker movie. It was a really upbeat sex worker movie. And they're like, oh, no, no, that's not how it works. When it's about marginalized people of any kind, whether it be African-Americans, whether it be sex workers, we need them to be downcast, tormented, tortured, beaten. That is Oscar material. We cannot have a story about sex workers, you know, sort of empowering themselves and robbing people joyfully. That cannot, that's not Oscar. So One of the only thing I learned on this podcast <laughs> that is still, still blows my mind is that people who vote in the Academy don't have to see all the movies. Mm-hmm. That is so fucked up. I think Carrie Mulligan was doing an interview in Sundance in the last few days, and she gave some soundbite where she was like, the Academy needs to offer proof that they've seen the movies. Yes. Because, like, it's 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 just, it's the most prestigious award in all of the arts. And it has no rules or guidelines. They're going to sit no. there with Price, Waterhouse, Cooper. Like, <laughs> it matters what the fuck they say when someone can just fill out whatever. Yeah. 
No, it's true. What is it, the census? <laughs> Even the census has fact checkers. The census has more fact checkers than the Oscars do have uh, view checkers. And that is unacceptable because the Oscars matter more than the census. So we need to have a, some checks and balances um, introduced <laughs> to the way the Academy does this. Uh, first, we'll take out the Electoral College, and mm-hmm. then we'll take out this like annual Academy. person can just fill out things with no proof of what they watched Oscar method. You have to go. You have to leap through hoops to watch a to watch a, uh, a screener. They yeah. make you submit your ID so that you don't pirate the movie. But then it doesn't even fucking matter if you've seen it or not. I mean, I really just make you do that because well, I don't. I don't trust you with my screeners. And I'm trying to get all those credit <laughs> and cards, you'll, and you'll you'll get your license back whenever you actually give back my movies. But up until that point, fair enough. Uh, we are where we are. Um, shall we? Let's do it. Let's start with uh. Let's start with the big one. Let's start with the uh, something upbeat. Nineteen seventeen. During World War One, two British soldiers received seemingly impossible orders. In a race against time, they must cross over into enemy territory to deliver a message that could potentially save 1,600 of their fellow comrades, including Blake's own brother. Jason, you have a brother. Mm, I do. What would you do if you got this news? That that my brother would potentially be killed in a battle that might be a trap. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have to go across no man's land and enemy lines in the middle of the night with a friend to try to deliver a message to save him and 1,599 other people. Right. Um. I mean, I would probably be like, okay, fine. I guess I'll do it because I would feel bad if I didn't. And then I would definitely be like muttering to myself about him the whole way there, about like all the times he's annoyed me mm-hmm. and like how much he better like fucking appreciate this. And he better not already be dead because I'll be furious. <laughs> um, and he better not have like been sent home already. And I'm just going to go there to save these strangers. Uh, so I, I feel like that those are the thoughts that would be in my mind um, if I were undertaking this mission. This could have been a great comedy. <laughs> I feel um, like it actually kind of would have been interesting if. We had learned along the way that he hates his brother. Right. Like if there he had like been stole any. stole his wife or something. If there had been any complexity or inter- or interesting dimension added whatsoever to the characters and their relationships, which there are not. Do you, have you seen this movie recently or did you see it a while ago? I saw it like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, I have I have a like a alternative name for it. If you remember kind of like the first half an hour of the movie. Mm hmm. It's called The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, you monster. <laughs> Guys, you should have seen the way she sat back from the microphone satisfied after she said that. Uh, <laughs> the Hills I Have kid, Eyes. And hands and feet. Oh, and teeth. they do. And Man, they, it's a and real they have, corpse. They have slippery innards. You got to be careful. You don't slip and just put your hand through one. <laughs> that was one of the most shocking scenes I've seen in a while. That was a that was like the kind of body glove you don't expect to, mid, to come across. Mid coronavirus. Oh yeah. Outbreak. Um, no, I feel like that tough. hit me harder than uh, I keep wanting to call it motherhood, although that's another one. Mother. <laughs> um, more than. Um, oh my God. What's the name of that movie? People with the rocks. The people with the rocks. Oh, Midsummer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You were more upset watching that man's hand slide into a dead comrade. He had just cut his hand. I know. That was that was a real that was I was like, was, yeah. I was like, we need some Benadryl. Yeah. Pronto. Um I, some Neosporin. I think I would easily see this movie getting best director, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the director is Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. Uh who has a pretty spotty record as a director and, you know, who, who kind of first, well, who, who's won already for American Beauty, 
which is one of those best picture winners that we all look back on now and think is an absolute horrible movie. But at the time, it seemed great. And so he won Best Director for it and then went on to make a series of movies that have nothing in common with that movie at all. Um, So it made it very clear that that movie's personality was all courtesy of Alan Ball, its writer. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's gone on to make a series of generally kind of, you know, chilly, action-leaning movies. And yeah, I I would, uh, I mean, I'm okay, I guess. I'm at peace with him winning Best Director for this, if only because... I'm holding out hope. I really think Parasite might pull off an upset in Best Picture. Mm. Um, and I mean, it did win um, the top prize at the at SAG. Mm-hmm. Um, it won Best Ensemble, which is their version of Best Picture. And the acting branch is the biggest branch in the Academy. So I I I, I hope for that. If Sam Mendes wins director, I'm like fine, fine. I'm like I'm I'm not rooting for anyone in that category. Like, it'd be nice that Bong Joon-ho would win, but I don't expect that at all. I think hopefully he might, and he's going to take international film at the very least, and possibly also picture. So, and this is, yeah, this is, this movie, 1917, is a remarkable technical achievement. Indisputably. It is absolutely stunning, because as you guys have probably heard, this movie is edited to suggest that it was all shot in a single take. And, of course, it was not actually shot in a single take, but... I think I read that it was actually just two long takes. Holy shit. Um, which is... What? Yeah, which is insane. Like, yeah, you're watching it and you're like, how are they doing this? So there's a one shot that they use in every single trailer that just looks so incredibly CG to me where he's running down the field and there's like the... the, the um, hel- Yeah, the helicopter. It's like coming down. Or, not, or yeah, like the old timey plane is coming down after him. Yeah. Um, like every time I watch that, it just looks like I'm like picturing it being like composited on someone's computer sure. screen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this movie is really super, super impressive from a showmanship perspective. And I think it doesn't, um, it doesn't sacrifice aesthetic and, and interesting artistic shots mm-hmm. for this like single shot uh, effect. Like I'm thinking of the scene kind of near the last part of part of the movie where he's like hand hand fighting <laughs> he's fist fighting this guy he's supposed to be in secret and they're it's at night and mm-hmm. they're kind of like in the shadows and they're hiding from another guy who's like drinking a little bit away mm-hmm. and you know this almost looks like a shadow puppet play of them fighting in this really right. tense moment i thought that was absolutely gorgeous a lot of yeah. the scenery with like the way it takes you between utter devastation of uh landscape uh, and then takes you into this like really lush landscapes. So for doing that and still, you know, not having it be mm-hmm. like a, I don't know, uh, Blair Witch Project looking type right. thing, which is an aesthetic, but... Um, it's a look. I mean, the re- the real hero of the movie is Roger Deakins, the, the DP. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and he is very, he's almost certainly, he's one of the biggest locks of the entire night for the Oscars to win for cinematography because he's the one who pulled this whole thing off. So, yeah. uh, so he for sure um, deserves a win, and I'm fine with all that. So now, how do you get this movie where it's these continual shots? It basically again has one or two people, mm-hmm. no best acting or supporting acting nominations. Yes, this is actually that was my one takeaway from watching it was that I was suddenly like, okay, George McKay, who is the de facto lead of the movie, should have been nominated for best actor. Right? How can he you... is incredible. He really is fantastic. Like it's and, and just even taking into consideration that he is doing this sustained performance in these very long takes. Right. And I mean, granted, he doesn't he's not playing a, a very enormous range of emotion or anything, um, but just the intensity and the presence that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, you have to, he's the one who has to sell it to you because the camera's on him right. from the first frame to the last frame. He is the only person that you're with from the beginning to the end of the movie. And he believes it, and so you believe it. And uh, so I think that was a great performance. Uh, it, they really, yeah, I guess this year there were just so many things to consider that they just, a lot of things got shoved out, but then the things that they chose to include were not great. I guess it's not looked at holistically, right? Um, right, no. It's just like everyone's just doing it on a per-category basis. Bummer town. Um, and that's that's the thing that they, you know, that's the thing that I almost think they should do, but I know that that would just be such a an obvious thing for people to be like, well, that ruins the purity of the process. Oh, but, oh but the fucking the, purity, the purity of, the process. of the process. To to have like sort of an oversight person who then would look, okay, here's where it all shook out. Let's just take stock of this. Whoops, only nominated white people. Let's take another go. Uh, <laughs> you know, like someone like that, just to be like, okay, just so everyone knows, are we, are we all, here's what the ballot is. Are we all good with this? Or do you all want to do this again one more time? Because look, right. look what happened. Uh, you know, and I know that and I'm not saying that this year they only nominated white people because they nominated Cynthia Erivo, her Harriet. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, things like that or things like, oops, we gave Monopoly to this title or like, oops, this one got shut out altogether. Uh, it's just like to give them a chance to do like a do over. Right. <laughs> you know, just to be like, OK, now, just so you all know, here's where it ended up with you guys just doing this all on your own with no yeah, sense of where things this were landing. Possibly get best picture, best director. But not best actor. I mean, I think that they were just not. The setup. They were just thinking that, that. That's what makes it look the, like the there's campaign. favorites by name. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. Look, as it's someone true. who doesn't no watch the movie but still weighs in on them, I still think this is absurd. Ah. So, uh, 1917 is a World War One movie, and we don't really have many of those. Uh, that's not really the focus. So I appreciate that it is not just another World War II movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Sing us back mm-hmm. to an earlier disaster. So that's fun. That's keeping it fresh, keeping <laughs> it exciting. But I mean, I guess for me, it is just, it's just about the showmanship. There's really nothing else to it. Like it's a very, very, very straightforward war movie. It doesn't really have anything to say aside from, woo, look at me, look what I can do. That's kind of the entire thing. And it's 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 and again, like we keep saying, it's in, it's impeccably done. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. The, but there's just not much to the writing. There's just really not yeah. much to it. And some have suggested that watching it feels like you're watching somebody else play a video game, and you're just watching. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you're just watching this character go from like level to level to level to level to level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking down foes as they come trying to make it to the big boss at the end right. to complete the game. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not not what it feels like. Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just not, it's a, it's a remarkable cinematic achievement in, from a purely technical standpoint and acting standpoint, but in terms of the actual substance of the story of the characters, of the writing, there's just not a lot there. Yeah. I think that for a movie, I think that could be okay you know, sometimes it's good that they don't try to put in too much of a love story or, you know, something oh, sure, kind yeah. of ridiculous into it. wasn't asking for a love story, but yeah. Um, it's no Saving Private Ryan where there's, you know, <clears> kind of a, this this odyssey, you know. Um, there's at least one scene that definitely reminds me of Saving Private Ryan. Of course. Never trust a German. Never. Never, never. Um, <laughs> but for Best Picture, no. It needs it needs more. Yeah. Um, okay, so you wish the Germans had won. Cool. Cool. That's 1917. Cool, cool, cool. What are you giving it? Consume in moderation. Yeah. That seems about right. Yeah. Uh, movie number two is Just Mercy. 
After graduating from Harvard, Brian Stevenson heads to Alabama to defend those wrongly condemned or those not afforded proper representation. One of his first cases is that of Walter McMillan, who was sentenced to die in 1987 for the murder of an 18-year-old girl, despite evidence proving his innocence. In the years that follow, Stevenson encounters racism and legal and political maneuverings as he tirelessly fights for McMillan's life. Michael B. Jordan stars in this. <laughs> Objectively true, yes. Objectively true story. Um, I don't disagree. This ticks a lot of boxes for me. Uh, public defense stories, mm-hmm. 1987's fashion. Oh yeah, Brie Larson especially. Brie Larson especially. Um, people fighting in fight in face of adversity. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Creed, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly, I'm, well. I was going to say, is this leading to like a butt or? Kind of, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's very formulaic. Yep. Um, there, it brings nothing new to the table. Nope. Um, is it a story that needs to be heard? Yes. Um, if you have time to watch it, it's not going to kill you. <laughs> if you <laughs> Poor choice of words. <laughs> if you're going to pick your last movie. Um... <laughs> Especially comparing it to a movie we'll discuss after this. Right, Clemency. right, right. Or, I mean, you can, there's, um, there are movies, uh, Gideon's Army is a good documentary about public defenders in the South and uh, the, the insane amount of little money that they get and amount of adversity they have to fight every day just to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it. It's it's what it is. Yeah, it, it seems like this. You know, yeah, this is the story of Brian Stevenson who started you know in a very 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 important organization called the Equal Justice Initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, that that has exonerated something like 125 inmates who were on death row wrongly. Uh, like he is one of the best human beings who's ever lived. Mm-hmm. And the work mm-hmm. that they do is th- some of the most important work that happens in this country. Yep. Um, but that does not mean that there is an interesting movie to be made about him. There's no shortage of movies that are about some sort of advocate of some sort who goes to it behind the scenes at death row and like is working really closely with an inmate and you know for me the gold standard is dead man walking sure um because it is it really has a lot of ambiguity mm-hmm. like we're really the entire movie susan's rand's character sister helen prejean and this is a true story as well uh, sister helen prejean is never quite sure whether or not sean penn's character is guilty Right, and we all know she's guilty. Which <laughs> we is a know, real, and we know the us. entire time that she's the one who did it. Right, <laughs> and so we're waiting for him to come around to that when she's on the side of the glass in his final moments. It was me, and then real just usual suspect style twist at the end of that one. Um, <laughs> she cries her sozes out of there, <laughs> drops uh, a coffee mug. Um, Jim. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that movie succeeded for me because there's so much complexity in the characters and they were mm-hmm. very richly drawn characters and um, and there is this ambiguity and it doesn't really, it, it's not, it's just not simplistic. This movie is incredibly simplistic. Uh, the characters are painted in the broadest of strokes as either good guys or bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, no one is given any real dimension. Uh, the, the bad guys are are cartoonishly villainous. Which, is that just... I mean, I was reading something... 
I mean, that's, <laughs> let me just figure out how to ask this question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, but what, what that accomplishes though, and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's very possible that Brian Stevenson, if he were sitting here right here, would be like, that's a word for word what those guys said and did. Um, but it does have the effect though of through being so overt and one dimensional cartoonish of failing to indict the larger systemic issues um, that that sort of perpetuate this inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also lets white viewers off the hook because no white viewer is going to see those characters and see themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's kind of like, oh, whites in the South are such rednecks. <laughs> um, and then walk away with like no sense of any complicity in their own lives uh, towards systemic racism. So I think which is kind of one of the biggest issues. Like you, that's something, you know, in Dead Men Walking, they really, you know, whenever Sister Helen would have these conversations with people on the, on the other side of issues or with the parents of the victims or anything like that, every character was afforded dimension and humanity. Right. And in this, that just doesn't happen. The characters are all thi- are, are all sketched super, super thinly. The actors do their best to try to bring some dimension to their performance, but not much happens here. Like no. this was... This was this was an Oscar snub that I was actually very gratified by because um, this movie shouldn't have been nominated for anything. Uh, it was thought to be the closest thing to a lock for supporting actor nomination for Jamie Foxx, but I don't even think he's that great in this. He just kind of does the. the Jamie Foxx yeah. is an act is a kind of actor who normally has such swagger um, that like when he's trying to play against type, what he does is just turn that all the way off and then just sit there and look very like still and inward Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like wait for you to notice how still and inward he's being and be like, wow, (laughs) look at you. Um, The other inmate uh, whose story Mm. we see in the movie is much more effective and heartbreaking. But even, even, even that one got a little green mile for me. Uh, (laughs) If you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know what you're saying. <laughs> do you? Uh, I do. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and I get that. You know, this is trying. This movie is trying to appeal to respectability and mm-hmm. trying to not alienate, you know, white audiences. And it wants to be like a down the middle prestige movie that you can go to and feel like, okay, I saw a movie where justice was done and things worked out, and you know, and I feel like I on the basis of race. Yeah, on the basis of race. Yeah, you walk, you walk away with sort of like a false image that like, it's all fixed. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he's yeah. on it, so I guess we're good. <laughs> which which takes me back to, and I know we never talked about the movie on the show, I don't think. I don't know if, did you watch the screener, but Dark Waters? Yes. Yes, I did. That's part of mm-hmm. what was so amazing about Dark Waters mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. that at the end, which was, this was the yeah. Todd Haynes movie uh, with Mark Ruffalo. Um, at the end of that movie, like, justice is not served by the system. Right. And it becomes about how it really is just up to this one man's, you know, quest to force change wherever he can, um, just doggedly, repeatedly, with no glory, no no satisfaction, um, just just persistence. Um, and you know, and it felt much more honest and much more true to our times than than a movie like Just Mercy. Yeah. And I'm it. It also mums me out because this movie is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton who made one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, which was Short Term 12, mm. uh, which he also worked with, Umbre- uh, worked with Brie Larson on. And he has not done anything since that was even close to it. He did this like shitty memoir adaptation called The Glass House, mm. also with Brie Larson, and now this. 
And um, yeah, I, I just don't think that this is by any definition a good movie. I think it's just, it's similar to 1917 in the sense that you, you know, it's a very middle brow prestige movie. Any moviegoer can walk into and sit down and like be engaged, be engrossed, um, be manipulated. Um, and like, manipulated? Well, I mean, in the sense that the movie is forcing emotional reactions from the audience, mm, mm. like without a light touch. There's not really any subtlety or nuance to Just Mercy. Yeah, I still feel like that's the South. <laughs> a lot of places you heard it in here the first. South, as a person, <laughs> Rebecca I, says I think, there's no subtlety or nuance in the South. I, I mean, I think that there is. A, Tell to Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> I think. Well, I think they're like notorious racist. I think that there is a a, a need to show that like uh, windowless suffocating oppression that is everywhere you turn to try to fight a system that you think has rules that doesn't have rules for you and people like you uh, was shown here and I know it seems cartoonish but I I don't think it's not true like Mm -hmm. how the cop treats him like the way people you know the whole backstory about the the man being accused you know really being crucified because he had had an extramarital affair with a, a white woman in town like it all of it feels like I don't know. Maybe we uh, can't believe that it is that cartoonishly obvious, but I don't know that it's. I can't say that it's not. Well, I mean, I think that. I mean, I guess we'd have to ask the Southern Poverty Law Center to weigh in with their with their movie review of, you know of, of whether this is accurate or not. Let me tweet but, at them. But I will say, yeah, I think they they're pretty responsive, especially for movie reviews. They're like, no one ever asks. <laughs> we have so many opinions. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I I feel like, but I have seen movies that are about the South that do still find dimension in racist characters. I'm not saying the that movies like Dead Man Walking make these sure. pe- make these characters look good, but it does like it does show that they still have a basic the basic complexity of everyday humanity. So and that's something this movie does not afford those characters. And in real life, people have that. You know, like obviously people at their very worst forsake their humanity. And you see a lot of that with you know, people who are enacting um, these kinds of very bigoted judgments against people of color in the South. Um, but there's still, it's still humanity. And I feel like to, especially to move forward, it needs to appeal to that common humanity as opposed to just reducing it to, yeah, one dimensional cartoons. Mm, maybe. I mean, if that was the re- if that was the reality, like you don't want to you know do a disservice to the person whose story you're telling by like making mm-hmm. the people who made his life miserable seem more right. uh, charming. Maybe the goal isn't to like try to uh, not upset white voters by making uncomplicated more characters more complicated. Anyway, whatever. We'll take this offline. <laughs> what is this a podcast well, about movies? We'll solve this one later and get back to you guys. Yeah, once we solve the whole um, racism. Thing. Yeah, it's on the doing? agenda for our um, for our, our happy hour after this. <laughs> now, what are you giving this one? You say send it back. This no, it's a cons- it's a consume it's like a consume minus. Like I like nineteen seventeen is like a consume plus. This is a consume minus. A consume for me, just straight consume. Now the next movie, cleverly paired, is Clemency. Years of carrying out death row executions are taking a toll on Warden Bernadine Williams. As she prepares for another one, Williams must confront the psychological and emotional demons that her job creates. Back-to-back, death row, prison movies. January! (laughs) Hope you're not doing dry February because uh, you need a drink. (laughs) These couldn't be more different. They are right, despite a series of commonalities. These are two stories told 
in quite literally polar opposite ways in perhaps almost to a fault on each side some mm. some some might say hmm. uh, whereas just mercy is as we've just finished discussing this like entirely too broad obvious simplistic crowd pleaser um, clemency is is telling such a specific small scale story mm-hmm. um, and telling it with sort of in a very quiet way, in a very slow moving way. Um, you know, it, it's not until toward the end I started to even realize how truly small the scope of this movie was. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and so in, in that it still unpacks much more sort of complex, real humanity and truth than I would say Just Mercy does. Mm. Um, but even that, I think you it's easy to walk away from this movie being like, so what was what was that? What was the what oh was, yeah? What was that about? What was what, what, what did I? What was the point of of that story? Definitely. So is that more? I thought you, I had missed something. Right. Yeah, like, I must have missed a whole chunk because it just ended and I didn't. Nothing happened. Was she drunk the whole time? <laughs> is that what it was? Is that she was like hiding like a opioid addiction of some sort? I. My, she was chasing <laughs> the the wild turkey. My my girlfriend left for a period of time. And came back and was like, "What happened?" And I was like, "Um, so her husband, um, I think he's upset, but I'm not sure why." She's but like, I think we all know that she's she's having a hard time. I think I said she's having a she, hard time right now. <laughs> that is the poster tagline. She's having a hard time right now. And, you know, if you watch the movie, that's kind of what you think. You're like, she's having a hard time right now. She's having a hard time right now. There's all these shots of Alfred Water just, like, staring (laughs) in the middle distance, kind of downcast. Like, she's having a hard time right now. She is really... At the end of every scene, the only conclusion you can draw is she's having a hard time right now. I feel like that's with... She has this co-worker that she is, like, the most social with anybody with, of anybody with. And I feel like his whole (laughs) dialogue is, like... She's having a hard you're time having, right now. You're having a hard time right now. And she's like, oh, I'm good. He's like, I don't know. I think you're having a hard time. I can drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, this this is a Alfre Woodard um, is is brilliant at evoking the hard time being had uh, <laughs> by, by this warden. Uh, the movie opens with a sort of an execution that goes wrong, um, which, I mean, it's, it's you know, the guy still dies, but it's a messy journey there. Um, so I guess it goes. Wow. I was wondering how you were going to figure out what right was. It goes right uh, in the sense that the guy dies. Uh, but it goes wrong before it goes right. And from there, we just kind of were getting to know this woman who is reaching a point in her... She's getting on closer to a potential retirement age. Mm-hmm. And her husband, who's played by Wendell Pierce, who's great, mm-hmm. um, is kind of like feeling some distance from her. And is thinking to himself, is she having a hard time right now? <laughs> She won't talk to me, but I feel like she's having a hard time right now. And she's like, no, I'm good. He's like, hmm. You've been awake on the couch for four days. Right. And uh, and, and you know that drill. Oh, uh, I do. <laughs> did you feel you know seen? What? I was having a hard time back then. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. I was having a hard time back then. I mean, then. I have to imagine you saw some of yourself in this character. Yes. Yes. Um, but... So she is, but she has this sort of distance in her relationship with her husband, who is hoping that, you know, he's been waiting for her to, I think, get to the point where she's ready to retire Mm -hmm. and collect her pension 
um, and they can just enjoy their life together and leave behind the many years in which she was the warden of a prison where she oversaw executions. Yeah, she's Um, clearly suffering from PTSD, but has no support system, doesn't really communicate with anyone, has a light drinking problem. But enough about you. Let's talk about (laughs) what... What Alfre Woodard's going through in this movie. <laughs> you, if you hadn't been there through all of it, I'd be very upset right now. But you were wonderful through the whole thing. <laughs> Love you. Thank you. You were my coworker. Uh, Wait, I was who's like, that guy that plays that coworker? I was like, you're having a hard time right now, and you were like, no, I'm really good. I'm fine. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the husband's noticing this stuff, and he's, I think, getting, you know, and she is, she is resistant to retirement, mm-hmm. and I think he's like, why? <laughs> yeah, um, don't you? Sh- you should be thrilled, and you know, and it's kind of left up to us to just read the features of her face for what that reason would be. Unfortunately, I mean, she is one of the best actors in the world, and she's perfect in this movie. Really so, is. No, like, it would be so hard for someone else to have yeah, this role. This is a, this is one of the best, the best you'll ever see, Alfred Woodard, who is great in everything. Uh, after I watched this, I also watched Scrooge for the first time, and I and she's in Scrooge. She's in Scrooge. She's in Scrooge. Wow. Yeah, she's like the assistant uh, sure. to the Bill Murray shithead character, oh. who's like we like touch down on her home life, and it's yeah. And she, you want to talk about eighties fashion? Ooh. Uh you gotta see her Got in, some the, in, pads? in Scrooge. Oh, big time! But and then so you know the movie, the movie never quite articulates in any actual words, but only it leaves to her performance to convey wordlessly is you know that killing all these men is killing her. Um, so this is nineteen seventeen, and yes, and the extent to which being this warden overseeing these executions has worn down her own humanity, and perhaps the reason that she is so. Mm, not excited about retirement is that she will be left with nothing but her thoughts and she'll have to face the role that she's played in all of these deaths. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and then at the same time, we are introduced to a character who is an inmate on death road played by Aldous Hodge. Uh, and that is, you know, meant to, it's, it's, it's a, I will say that these, these were also Oscar snubs. Uh, Alfie mm, Woodard was, was in the running for best actress at one point And she kind of got edged out and, and Aldous Hodge, that was a performance that made me really sit up and take notice. I was looking him up. I was like, who is this mm-hmm. guy? This guy is a brilliant actor. Um, it was staggering. Like the, the power of that performance, the dimension of it. And you have, so you have in his character, kind of a foil for her he's mm-hmm. on death row you know the clock is ticking he's on a young his man execution date. accused of killing a cop and you know he has a very uh at the beginning it's a very similar to her you know stony um internal way of uh, handling the situation he has a completely different you know relationship with his lawyer where he's open and, and she doesn't have that so he has these he's very you know for good reason um he you know he says that he's innocent and um so he has a, a facade that he has for the authorities in the prison very cold which is the face that she gives the whole time mm-hmm. but but then when he engages with his lawyer when he kind of believes he might get clemency when he learns things about his family um you see different sides of him come through so even a man mm-hmm. who is like looking at you know the end of his life and the very near horizon still has this like range of emotions that he's able to tap into and experience and she does not Mm-hmm. She can't do anything. She is in such a prison of these rules that she has set up to justify her existence and to justify her work. 
um, that any sort of shaking that will destroy her, and she doesn't have any of the tools to break out of that. So what you're saying is that even though she's the warden, she's actually the one who's in the prison. It's because she's having a hard time right now. She's having a hard time. She's having a hard time. Alice Hodge looks at her, and he's like, you're having a hard time. And she's like, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, So, and the the storyline with his character and the ambiguity over whether or not he committed this, this crime... Um, introduces an almost on the one hand it would sound like the kind of thing that based on what I was saying in the last review I would prefer uh, you know ambiguity but I one review that I was reading today was pointing out that it almost muddies the message of the movie because they're like okay either the death penalty is wrong all the time and that's the issue or this guy is possibly on death row wrongly convicted so this critic was asserting that you know introducing this whole like did he or didn't he um, was in mud- you know muddying the sort of the humanitarian message of the movie that like hmm. whether he is Ill- innocent or guilty should not matter um, in the sense that the death penalty is always wrong. I don't know that that was like a part of the movie. I mean, it mm. it, it came up because of course it would come up. Like, right, that comes up. There's mm. um, the family of the victim of his crime played by. Um, Principal Belding from Oh God, yeah, right, Dennis. Ha- no, not nine two one zero. Say by oh, the bell. Oh yeah, say by the bell. Sorry, yeah, Dennis Haskins. Um, you have his lawyer, right? I mean, you're not going to have these interactions with with a lawyer or um, have someone on death row not talking about whether or not they're guilty. I don't think that comes into play, and I think that's part of the muddiness is important here because does it even matter right. where she's at and where her assistant and the other. Uh, officers that have to look at these things every day mm-hmm. and well, not every day but right. does it matter to them does it matter in that moment um, I feel like it didn't tread too much into that in a, mm-hmm. in a way that was distracting right that's fair and we do get one uh, this one sort of long great powerful scene between Aldous Hodge and Danielle Brooks uh, Tasty from Orange is the New Black mm-hmm. uh, who um, who comes to this visit him and they have this very sort of powerful dramatic back and forth um while she is visiting him and you know this is a movie that you know i like small moment movies whenever you are at least tracing a character in their arc from one point to another point um because like okay that's the day it's just one day but that's the day Mm. that they realized blank i'm like great um but i think this movie I'm not sure what the warden has moved from to um, mm. by the end of this movie because, like, we know that she's moved darker into a hole. Um, <laughs> we know that she's having possibly even a harder time uh, by the time one, it's one over. One might say, and there's no, and there's no, and then it just ends like you know, like it ends very sadly, and we hold on her face for a very long take, um, and then it's over. So, and it seems like what we're meant to take away from it is that she's having a hard time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she is now perhaps beyond, she's somehow slid beyond reach. Like she is now, she has gone too dark. She's gone too low, too deep. And once again, she did it. Yeah. She's the killer the whole time. That's why we had that. That was that was that little. That's why she gets a little twinkle in her eye right before right before cuts the credits, just like just like Florence Pugh in Midsummer. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, she just starts breaking into a big smile, and then you're like, "Ah, oh, Kaiser says I does it again." To me, it feels like there was like 
at the end she was no she was freed from the prison like she couldn't control it anymore she couldn't control mm, i guess she does have a physically leave mm-hmm. um well she can't put it back in the bottle right right it because she becomes overwhelmed right so who knows where that leads no but and in some ways it feels like it would have it, it feels like a short film that mm. is perhaps was it they attempted to long elongate into a feature <laughs> um and certainly none of the stuff that they added in is bad but i don't know that it necessarily plays better than it would have it was just a short i film. think a short film would have been great yeah um but i mean every water is great as hodge is fantastic mm-hmm. one to watch um and uh so yeah i mean i i this this is probably of the four this is my pick of the month i Ooh, would say yeah okay so that's, from it's that's like your a, opinion <laughs> <laughs> it's like a this is like a binge minus for me i'd Ooh, say i give it a consume still okay um last movie yeah. ready like a boss best friends mia and mel run their own cosmetics company a business they built from the ground up but they're also over their heads financially and the prospect of a buyout offer from an industry titan proves too tempting to pass up the beauty business is now about to get ugly as a proposal puts mia and mel's lifelong friendship to the ultimate test death (laughs) once again we have a death row drama Really stark, stark stuff. Kind of, it splits the difference between just mercy and clemency. I'd say it's really it's the just right. It's uh, the just right. It's the just right porridge of, uh, of these three bowls of porridge. Like a boss, this Tiffany the, Haddish. This is the one Rebecca has not seen. Rose Byrne. I have seen it. Oh wait, oh you did go Selma see it. Hyatt. <gasps> in the oh, theaters. I, I did. I remember you talked about it. you were thinking about it. I know you actually went. Oh, I went. <gasps> oh my god. Uh, okay. This is. I'm not I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. <laughs> I was like bracing to like do like the. Let me just run through it real quick. But, wow. Uh, okay. But no, you've seen it. That's great. Yeah, I, w- I will always support a Tiffany Haddish a Rose Byrne movie <laughs> in the winter in the box office. And Sama Hayek, and Billy Porter, and Jennifer Coolidge. Mm-hmm. The whole crew was there. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, so many good memes coming from Billy Porter's hat from the Grammys. Also. Oh, I mean, so good. I wonder if he had that in mind. If he was like, this oh. is going to be so many, that, just like the opening and then the closing. Mm-hmm. Ugh, genius. Uh, but you start with this one. So, yeah, as I mentioned before, this is the January trash that I chose to include on this episode. It's also partially because it's, I think, one of the only january trash movies i saw possibly the only one Mm. that i saw um because of course i'm gonna see this movie of course uh you know as soon as the trailer came out i was like oh that looks fun Mm -hmm. and uh, it's directed by miguel uh, Miguel arteta who has a really interesting track record as a as a director who's made a lot of really legit sort of like indie dramedies he actually directed sama hayek a movie called beaches at dinner that came out a few years ago yeah he directed Jennifer Aniston in The Good Girl. Like, mm, he he has a, a really... I, I mean, I, I, of course, suspect this is him in kind of, you know, studio for hire mode. Um, but all the same, um, he really is... Has always been a really a consistent director. And, you know, and this is, by all means, an airplane movie. I mean, this is oh, one sure. million percent. This is, like, perfect, perfect, perfect airplane comedy. Go find, like, a, you know, winter saver deal on Southwest mm-hmm. and watch this movie. You won't regret it. Uh, and uh And, you know, even though it's, of course, like, a kind of obvious January comedy, 
the just the sheer likability and verve of the actors goes so far in elevating it. Oh, absolutely. The chemistry they have together. Like Roseburn and Tiffany Haddish have a real just like a, a true chemistry. Into it. Uh, as friends. They are really they're a hoot to watch. Uh, they play off each other beautifully. Uh, the all the supporting cast, even though you know we have like Ari Grainer, we have Jessica St. Clair, Natasha Rothwell. Like there is you know, the whole cast is is just oh, yeah. the casting on this is a plus. There's not a there's a, 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 it's one of those comedies where so many great sort of just character actors from all through comedy are just perfectly just shoved into the just, whole movie, just shoehorned in, and everyone gets Love a little it. moment to sing. Um, and uh, you know, and this is I will say Jennifer Coolidge in this movie. <laughs> I feel like this is up there almost to the Christopher Guest stuff for her. Mm. Like, she doesn't always get utilized perfectly. Mm-hmm. And in this, she is utilized perfectly. Yeah. Some of the one-liners that she comes out with in this, where you can tell she clearly, like, this is her contributing to the mm-hmm. movie. Because the tone of her jokes in this movie have, are so random and so absurd <laughs> that they just have nothing to do with anything else anyone's saying. And you're like, this is her. She's coming up with this shit. Like, I really want her and Billy Porter to be best friends in real life. Oh, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Oh, Billy Porter gets to have a great scene. Of that his, was the dramatic exit. The best scene uh, of the movie. Best scene I've seen in 2020 so far. It is. It is. Yeah. Blows clemency out of the water. I mean, kind of. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Crossover. <laughs> Albie Porter leaves that like execution thing with the window. Yes. <laughs> Because Billy Porter's <laughs> having a hard time in that scene. He's he wasn't having, having a hard, hard time, time right then. And he needed to have his moment, and they needed to let him have his moment. <laughs> um, so good. This is, uh, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a waste of breath to point out that, like, yeah, it's formulaic, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a studio comedy. Um, yeah. Does it really make sense? No. Right. But is it funny? Yes. Yes. And it's because of all those actors. I do feel like this is one of those movies where it was like, was there a script? Was there a director? Or was there just like somebody walking around with a camera and these people just like made it happen because they're so good and the chemistry with all of them is so mm-hmm. on point. And there was one, there was even a little sort of like a subversive twist in some of the, in in the dynamic Ooh, of Tiffany yes. and Rose's friends. And see, we're thinking about the same thing of like when they were children and the their, their origin story. Yes. Yeah. So in this, um, in this story, Tiffany Haddish, um, welcome when they were kids Rose Byrne was coming from a broken home and and sort of had to find a new place to live and Tiffany's family took her in and kind of raised her as their own and that just felt like a really just a small but pointed choice to go against type with the way that these the, the, the sort of the racial dynamic there usually plays out in these kinds of stories so I just felt like even little details like that made me appreciate the movie even more yeah definitely um I think and no love interest. There's really no love story. Not in this really, movie. no. Like there's no like they're not like being brought into Salma Hayek's you know um, beauty empire and catch the eye of some nope. assistant who's like, oh, don't worry about her. She's she's kind of crazy, but you know we get by. And they're like, oh, thank you. And then <laughs> no, and none then, of that. You know, no, no, none of it. No. Oh. I'm just I'm just a little tired of that like and it was the same thing with the movie with Issa Rae um, Little Little which is like these business movies that are like just make it a little more realistic it's like this crazy thing's supposed to happen at midnight tonight you know it's like the makeup party for all the makeup companies in the city in like Atlanta to come do this thing it's like a really manufactured like points of conflict just make it just like a little just like just like take the 
take the script from um, the social network, erase all the names, just take the outline of it, mm. and then just apply that kind of pacing time. Think how things will more realistically work out. Um, Are you saying that you would like to volunteer your services as a business consultant for films going forward, perhaps? No. They could bring you in and be like, all right, let's get Rebecca's take on this. Like, oh, my God. Have you seen San- the playlist, that TV show, that Zoe's playlist? I, yes, I've seen the first episode. It's so fucking terrible, Jason. <laughs> I think, were we talking about this the other night? It wasn't Soul talking about this. Oh, that yeah. She, have how you, much she you hated have seen it. it. It's so bad. <laughs> I, I, will, I will probably keep watching it, though. Wow. Oh, uh, also, Soul did watch a little bit, even though you had said not to, uh-oh. of the Alana Glazer stand-up special. <sighs> I mean, was I lying? That she showed me like was five I minutes when I got home. Whoa, Jason. Those aren't jokes. Where are the jokes? Those are not jokes. Where are the jokes? It is I I I, I don't have any I don't I need like an explanation for what happened. And like so I had mentioned and so I will I will I will just not take credit for this, but it's like the combination of the lack of jokes and the swagger. Right. Is just offen- at that point right. offensive, right? That she's like, yeah, that she's carrying herself like she's kind of like killing it. And that audience was like oh, handpicked yeah. as like a bunch of people it, that were going to like what she did no matter what. It was worship. Mm-hmm. It was just worship. And it was undeserved. Did you see that person who kept standing, giving, saying ovations to every, every inane thing no, she would say? No, I only was say? to watch it for a minute. Oh my God. So upsetting. Okay. Yeah. Back to this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like just make, make this a little bit less wild. Um, there are wild things happen. That's fun. It's great. The friendship was great. The acting is great. It's hilarious. I laughed the whole time. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. just like oh, those things are always so like, uh, I really yeah, yeah. Cringy. Uh, it has yes, it has your your sort of typical heightened um, view of how business works with very little um, <laughs> insight into the realities of how business works. And Rebecca and I are nothing if not business women. And so <laughs> we're here to tell you, if you just take us to a business women's lunch, how it actually works. But that aside, this movie is a treat. Yes. Goes, goes down smooth. Uh, and I'm glad that we chose this as our January trash title. Yes, absolutely. Um, I love their friendship. I want this to be like a recurring thing. I want this to be like... I mean, I want them to be like a Cheech and Chong and they have like a mm. whole series of movies that they make together. It's like a, a oh. period of time where Rose Byrne and Tiffany had issue a bunch of like their mm. buddy cops. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you know, I don't know, presidents of different countries. And oh. then all of a sudden they're, I don't know, two, whatever. That's fun. I like that. I support that too. So whenever you're out on your next consulting gig for business, yep. then consulting see, for business. get somebody's ear, get some executive on the horn and be like, business consultant Rebecca Olarte here. I've got a pitch for you. Surefire. Can't lose. Um, this is a consume for me, though. Um, what are you going to give it? Uh, consume plus. Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's fair. You feel good? You feel good about this episode? I think that we we did nearly all consume, so we're good. That, yeah. That's January. <laughs> that's What's January? January? If not a month for all consume. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us. Uh, follow Jason on Twitter. He is... Uh, excess faggage at fight balance we are on soundcloud and the apple thing and the other thing and the spotify thing all those things thank you so much for listening bye guys bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there goes the binge. binge